For those of you that don't know me, my name is Rachel West, and I'm a senior here at Indiana Wesleyan. I just want to start this morning kind of with a funny story about my life. I don't know about you guys, but have you ever just had the pride completely knocked out of you? It was about two years ago, and I was sitting at home, and I was just dying to have a car. For the first two years of college, I just had to bum rides off my roommate, Natalie, and I think she was getting kind of sick of it, and so I said, Mom and Dad, I just have to have a car, I have to have a car. And so, for four months, every single Sunday, I would comb through the classifieds, the transportation section, and I was picking out all these sweet cars, you know, I wanted an SUV, I wanted a sports car, and my dad would always come to me and he'd say, now Rachel, I found you a great car. And every single time he told me he found me this great car, it was a beast. It was huge. But it always had good safety recommendations. So it was two weeks before school started, and I still didn't have a car. And so I was sitting, and I was once again looking through the classifieds, and I found it. I found my dream car. It was bright green. It was a two-seater. The top came off. It was everything my heart desired. For those of you guys that know me, you know I like to be a little bit different. So it was perfect. I went and I test drove it. Um, my parents said yes. All of the big hoops were crossed, and it was mine. Now, the interesting part comes in when I'm trying to drive my car home. I was with my brother, Luke. Some of you know him. He's a freshman here. And we got in the car, and we decided, we looked at each other, we got to take the top off. So we took the top off. Then we're driving down University Avenue, and for those of you that have been to my hometown, University Avenue is the cruising strip. It's three lanes. I mean, if there is a cruising strip in Iowa, this is the cruising strip. <laughs> so we're sitting in my car. The top is off. I'm bumping my music. We're looking good. And I'm sitting there, and we look at each other, and we think, we're looking good. You know, when you're getting the looks from the other people in the car that are kind of looking at you when you drive by, we're sitting there kind of all hot on ourselves, like, look at my sweet car. Everything's good until we come to my first stoplight. You see, my car was a stick shift, and wasn't really good at a stick shift yet. So we come to the stoplight, and I'm sitting there. Everything's fine. The light turns green. And you know I stall the car. Okay, big deal. No problem. Put it in first. Get ready to do the ignition again. Nothing. Okay. So I put it in first, make sure it's in first, turn it, nothing. The car isn't even turning over. I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness, my car is broke, I just bought it, ah! And so I look at Luke, he's like, wait, just go! And so we stick, the, <laughs> we stick the key in the car, I turn it over again, nothing. By this time, all the people that drove by me, giving me the look, were looking at me, honking, frustrated, let's go, lady! So I'm sitting there panicking. And if things couldn't get worse, it starts to rain. <laughs> My top is off the car and it is raining. And so I just look at Luke and I'm like, I'm going to put the hazards on. I don't know what to do. So I throw the hazards on. I'm like, get out of the car and put the top on. So he jumps out. We throw up in the back trunk, put the top on the car, lock it down. I'm like, you're going to have to push me, Luke. You're going to have to push. And so he gets, and he pushes me through three lanes of traffic. Everybody's still honking at me. We're off the street. I am not looking good. At this point, at this point, a lady comes out of the house, and she gives me a cell phone. She's like, honey, are you having problems? I'm looking at her like, yes, I just spent all my money. 
and my car's broke. And she's like, well, do you want me to try? I'm like, you can try, but it is not turning over. It is dead. I think the battery's dead. I don't know. So she gets in. She puts the key in the ignition. Immediately starts the car up. It's purring like a kitten. I'm sitting there like, hmm, it was broken. It really was. And she looks at me. She says, honey, did you push the clutch in? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> At this point, I am not looking good, right? <laughs> Anyways, I think it's funny how God uses little things like that that just totally knock the pride out of us immediately. Like, Rachel, you think you have a cool car? Well, you can't even drive it. <laughs> <laughs> this morning when I was trying to think, what in the world am I going to share with all my friends? Um, God just kept placing in my heart and telling me again and again, why don't you just tell them what I'm teaching you for the last four years? And so this morning, I just want to be completely transparent with you and share with you what I believe God has shown me um, the biggest lesson in my life so far, and that is to get my eyes off myself. I'm not saying that I always think I'm so great. I don't think that's my problem. I think my problem is this morning what many of us deal with. All we can see is how the world affects us. Instead of having our eyes on God, we have our eyes on ourselves. If there's one thing I learned in psychology, it was that we are all, every single one of us right now, are going through the intimacy versus isolation stage in our lives. Now, I don't think I needed Eric Erickson to tell me that every single person right now is on this campus is worried about hooking up with somebody else. Am I right about this? <laughs> if we're not dating somebody, we want to be dating somebody. And if we don't want to be dating somebody, we definitely want to be talking about somebody else who's dating. It seems like all of us are so concerned about who we're going to spend our lives with or what God's will is for our lives or what kind of fun thing can I find in Marion to do this weekend. <laughs> but it just seems like to me that we're always asking ourselves the wrong questions. We're always saying, God, what is your will for my life? Rather than saying, what is your will for your kingdom? I think that we have our eyes in the wrong spot. And there's so many examples in the Bible that I could share with you this morning. So many examples. I mean, the first person I thought of was, oh, Peter. Remember when he had his eyes on himself? Remember the story of when Peter's trying to walk across the water? He's looking at Christ, and he looks down, he looks at himself, and immediately he starts sinking into the water. And as soon as he puts his eyes back on God, he's fine. He lifts, and he walks across the water to Jesus. That's an obvious example of what happens when you get your eyes on yourself. Or I even thought about Elijah this morning. I know that all of you know um, from Dr. Williams from Old Testament class that Elijah was an amazing prophet. He had probably some of the most amazing experiences happen to him. Like when he was on the top of Mount Carmel and they made two sacrifices. And here it was, him, alone, against 450 prophets of Baal. He said, oh God, ignite my offering if you are the true God. And immediately fire fell from heaven and ignited the offering. And the prophets of Baal just looked and watched because they'd been praying for hours and nothing had happened. But it was that point in Elijah's life that Ahab, the wicked, wicked king at the time, looked at him. And he said, if I see you in the next 24 hours, you're dead. And Elijah ran. And he ran to a cave. And many of you know what happened. He heard God's still, small voice. 
But you know what Elijah said to God? He didn't say, oh God, thank you so much for revealing yourself. You're so awesome. No, Elijah had his eyes on himself. He said, God, I am the only one left. Look at Israel. They rejected your covenant. They're following Baal. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Elijah just had, he had a pity party. God looked at him and he said, Elijah, get your eyes off yourself. There are 7,000 other people who have not bowed their knees to Baal. You are not the only one. And I bet right at that moment, Elijah just sat back and thought, oh, whoops. Whoops. I had my eyes on myself, and I couldn't even see 7,000 other people around me that were following you. This morning, the example that I want to look at the most is the story of Job. Now, you guys are probably thinking, Rachel, I took Sunday school. Job was a good guy, right? Yes, Job was a good guy. And Job's known for being such a faithful follower of Christ. I'm sorry, not Christ, God. (laughs) Anyway. But Job, this is what Job says. I just want to read a few things to you. As you know, Job was probably the richest man alive on earth. He was completely blessed by God. And so Satan comes to God one day when God's sitting in heaven, and he says, yeah, I was, I was walking around the earth, and I saw your servant Job. Well, now I know he serves you, but I think the only reason he serves you is because you bless him so much. And God said, no, Job is faithful. You can take that away, and he'll still serve me. And Satan said, okay. So he goes out. And in one day, he takes away his cattle, his sheep, his donkeys, his camels. You're thinking, big deal, they smell, they're good to believe anyways. But, back then, if you had a donkey, that was like having money. It was almost like the stock market. It'd be like if Bill Gates' stock all just went kaput in a period of seconds. That's kind of what happened with Job. All of his riches, his resources, his wealth was gone the drop of a hat. And not only that, but a servant came in to tell him, oh yeah, and by the way, every single one of your children has just died. Every single one. Job was left with nothing. Nothing. And he sat in sackcloth and ashes. And it's at this point throughout the book of Job, if you read, that he starts to look at himself. Completely dwells on himself. Listen as I read what Job says, and think about how self-absorbed he sounds. This is him talking. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Whoever heard of me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist him, the man dying was blessed by me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice as my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of a stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. And he goes on and on for six chapters like this, talking about all the things that he did. And God, can't you see all the things that I did? Job is just sitting there, dwelling on his old life and sitting there just in a pity party, just thinking about all the things that have happened in his life, how great he was, and why in the world this is happening to him. I know that in a room this size, there has to be 
people here that are suffering like Job did. Maybe your dad or your mom called and they said, Honey, we're getting a divorce. Or maybe your boyfriend just broke up with you. That's rough. Or maybe you just don't know what you're doing with your life and you're completely confused. Maybe someone close to you is facing death or illness. Maybe you just feel completely alone. Maybe you feel like Job this morning. And for weeks you've been laying in your room thinking about yourself, your own pain, and your own suffering, and you haven't been able to look at God in the midst of it. Listen how God responds to Job. This is what God says to Job when he's in the midst of this pity party with his eyes on himself. He says, Who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Basically he's saying, You're stupid. What are you talking about? Then he says, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. These are some of the questions he asked Job. Try to answer these. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Basically, he goes on and on to talk about creation and all of the amazing things that God did. And he shows himself to Job and he says, Look who you're talking to. Why are your eyes on yourself? Wrong place to be. And when God gets done after chapters and chapters of just basically putting Job in his place, this is what Job says immediately. He says, he replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things too great to understand. Things too wonderful for me to ever know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. When someone comes in contact with God, there's no room for looking at self. He says, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job encountered the living God. He'd heard of him, but now he'd seen him. It's a totally different story. When you hear of God and you have knowledge of God, I came to college with a lot of knowledge of God. I was saved when I was four years old. Basically lived a good life. I was kind of goody two-shoes west in high school. And I knew a lot about God, but I hadn't experienced God. And I can tell you that since I've come to college, I've probably been more focused on myself than I ever have been. About what God's doing in my life. And, I mean, every single question that could be asked, I've asked. Just this week, and I was sitting in my bedroom, it was Thursday, and I was laying there coming back, um, sitting in Iowa, talking to my mom, and I just started having this pity party all over again. I said, God, I really don't want to graduate. I know that I'm the only senior that just wants to stay here forever, but God, I feel like in two weeks, my social life is completely gone. I feel I'm moving to Washington, and I'm going to live with Joanne Lyon. And I said, God, how am I going to meet people? I'm not going to know anyone. And then I'm moving to New York. How in the world am I ever going to find anyone to hang out with when I'm teaching kids? I'm losing all my friends, all my professors who I love. It was just 
It might not sound like a big deal, but to me it was just like the biggest deal in the world. And I sat there and I started crying. And after about five minutes of just dwelling on myself and thinking about, woe is Rachel, I feel like God just said, Rachel, what are you speaking about in chapel? I was like, whoops, not looking at myself. What am I doing? Looking at myself. And I went to the Easter production on Friday that our church has, and I watched Christ walk to the cross, and I watched him crucify himself, completely empty himself of his own desires. And I was convicted so strongly. This morning, we can look, I could, I mean, we can look through the Bible and find a million different examples of people that had their eyes focused on themselves, and how when they turned them to God, great things happened. Job, he repents, and God blesses him twice as much as he had before. Amazing things happen when we get our eyes off ourselves. But this morning, I want to focus on Christ's example, because that's the only man that I want to follow. And I think sometimes as humans we think that Christ was just God and he didn't have feelings like us. But I remember that right before Christ was crucified, when he knew all the suffering that he was about to bring upon himself, he sat down and prayed, Oh God, take this cup from me. God, I don't want to go through this. For a split second he thought of himself and he said, Oh God, I don't want to handle this. Take it from me. But he didn't end there. He said, But... Thy will, not mine, be done. Christ is the perfect example of completely losing yourself. He had thoughts like we think. Like, oh, I don't want to do this. God, take this from me. But immediately he said, but, thy will, not mine, be done. And he crucified himself. No one crucified Christ. He crucified himself. He could have had all the power to stop his suffering. Sometimes, I mean, we obviously don't have that power, but Christ did. He could have completely not, he could not not have drank the cup that he had to drink, but he did. This morning, I just want to challenge you and challenge myself to be like Christ, to crucify ourselves, to rid ourselves of all the feelings we have about ourselves, all our own desires, all our own wants, all our own dreams, every single thought that we think about ourselves, how maybe we don't want to serve God because we want to have fun right now. Get rid of your desires. Look to God this morning. In ending, we're going to have six people around the auditorium with buckets of nails. And you're thinking, Rachel, why a nail? I know that probably every single one of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, no matter how young or old we are, have thoughts at times where we just want to dwell on ourselves. What our life is consisting of. What I'm going to do this summer. Who I'm going to hang out with. What I want to be. But this morning, we need to get our eyes on Christ. Get our eyes off of ourselves. Look to others' wants and needs for a change. When you find yourself sitting, when you're sitting in your room this summer and you're finding yourself dwelling on yourself, immediately I hope that you will look at this nail and you will think, oh yeah, I'm supposed to crucify myself. I'm supposed to get rid of myself. 
I want to follow Christ's example. Not my will, but thine be done. 